we innovated. We did things that nobody else had done. Uh, rightly or wrongly, we think almost single-handedly, we've changed the, the Flexo industry. Welcome to Breaking Down Boxes. It's Gene Marino with Acres Packaging. I'm Joe Morelli from Houston Patterson Printers. We have compelling conversations with successful entrepreneurs in the packaging space. So we've got an interesting discussion with John Bird, founder of JB Machinery. You'll hear a lot about a man with a tremendous amount of inner drive, tremendous amount of, of belief in self, and uh, just singularly focused on being successful. When I think of John Bird, and I see John at a AICC meeting coming down the hallway in his suit, dressed to the nines with his English accent, so professional, uh, so impressive. His business is incredible. But as we started digging into his story and doing some of the, the work behind the scenes, that's not always been the case. It's an exciting next hour, I think, because of his stories and, and where he's come from. So, and, and not only that, he, he supports the second best team in London. No, I support West Ham. I don't support Spurs. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we can save that for another day. <laughs> Without further ado, John, welcome. And most of us know who you are. Most of us know your business, but maybe a minute or two about what JB Machinery is and what you provide to the industry. We manufacture uh, both drying systems. We make UV curing systems along with automatic plate washing and now ink management systems, all to make the machine run more successfully. And we want to keep you running 100% of the time at 100% the speed. If my mother was listening and didn't know the industry, why is your, your business critical in the process itself? Why is what you do so important? There's just no, no other systems available as a, a conglomerate of product that can do this. You can take individual manufacturers of such systems, but none of them make a complete uh, compendium of items that, that will get you to where you need to be, give you color control, give you uh, consistency and continuous production. As I said, it's just your reputation in the industry is so strong. Peer-to-peer, very impressive image and reputation you've cultivated over the years with you and, and Warren and your family. Uh, and congratulations you know, peer to peer again on your success. And I think well, thank you. Uh, before we even talk about the JB story, when we were doing our homework, John, and you dropped a bomb on us and said that you were kicked out of the house when you were young. What, <laughs> what like, can we start there? And like, well, what the hell did you do uh, to uh, get yourself in a little trouble when you were young? Well, stayed out overnight. Um, at, at what age, though, I think is a kind of an important piece to that overnight. Uh, do I really have to answer that? Just, just maybe as an add-in. Sort of 14. Excellent. <laughs> My mother didn't appreciate that. And so um, the police were called in and uh, I was brought up in front of a magistrate and uh, whereas I was accused of not being uh, able to be controlled. Appropriate. Uh, and I actually, <laughs> actually said, you're absolutely correct, um, because the demands are too, too much. I need to be out of the house. So they complied and uh, gave me my, my wish. <laughs> and, uh, so you have nothing. At that point, you're, you're out of the house. You're 14 right. years old. Well, I was 15 by 15 then. years 15 old. 15 by then. And then from there, fast forward. X amount of years to the success you've had now. How did you get started? Like how how did you get put on a path from 
being kicked out of the house, dead end, oh. to what, like, was there a moment in your life that you said, I got I to gotta change this around? I always had the ambition. That was never a question. I was always mentally, I knew I was going to be successful at something. I had no clue what that was. But I remember starting work and uh, I was put on the shop floor, putting collars on the end of rollers. I knew this was not where my career was going. And I saw all these guys wandering around with white coats that came out of the ink labs. I saw they drove cars. <laughs> Within three months of joining the company, I got transferred into the labs. I was classed as a development chemist. The word chemist is a very, very <laughs> overused word, but, but, but a development chemist nonetheless. From there, went into some strategically useful situations where I, I joined uh, companies that were a, a print company in the first place where they made their own ink. And that gave me a lot of experience printing on plastic, how you make inks work on plastic. And was there somebody during that time that helped push you along or was it self-driven, self-taught? Oh, without a doubt. I should never have missed him out. It was my middle brother. Uh, I'm the youngest of three. And he'd always push me, you're too smart not to be doing something and not to be successful. He was. He was an amazing mentor and uh, drove me big time. When you are... Um kind of working your way through. So when, when you first started putting collars on rolls and then in, in the development chemist and on the ink side, as you started to progress through, you said you moved then and was, were printing on plastic, learn how to do that. Was that your first foray into the actual print side of it? Yes. Okay. And then, yes. and then how does that begin to progress for you where you start marrying these together? Well, then uh, I went into uh, another uh, ink company specializing in screen printing inks. was a development chemist with them for a couple of years, and then I was promoted to um, run the coding lab, which is where I got all my coding experience, which came in very handy later on in life, uh, particularly on litho presses. Was there time during that, as you're making uh, advancements, are you getting any customer-facing time at this point? Or are you still behind the scenes? I'm still behind the scenes, although, in fact, it was supplier interface that was a big mover in, in my career. Interesting. Only because uh, one gentleman that was our supplier, became, we became very close friends. He and I would sit over a pint of beer and discuss the future of the world. And what would be there forever? And we figured printing would never go away. Yeah. Liquid was the only way to transfer successfully. And the faster you ran, the more need for drying. Interesting. What year round is this? This is 70s. We're talking probably 74, something like that. It's pretty amazing. So just being in that environment and around it and experiencing it every day and that, that self-drive... And, and maybe some, some push from your brother, you begin to look at the industry through some different lenses about what's possible, what's going to be sustainable liquid printing, and then, and then what, what the future may, may hold. Have you always kind of looked through it through a down-the-road uh, vision to things in, in your business? Yes, absolutely. It's one of the things we pride ourselves on is the innovation, uh, rightly or wrongly. We think that 
almost single-handedly, we've changed the, the flexo industry. Nobody was doing uh, or making dryers for flexo machines before JB Machinery came along. We actually have an award from AICC that dates back to 1989 hmm. when we put a forced hot air drying system on a company called Triangle Container uh, run by most famous gentleman called Jack Rollman. And it was the birth of the Masterflex, Bob's Masterflex machine. And we put uh, forced hot air dryers on that machine. Shortly thereafter, we started supplying hot air, forced hot air dryers on other machines. But during that period, Bob's actually approached us. We're looking at purchasing us. Um, we told them we were not for sale because there was a much bigger market out there than just Bob's. Um, pretty smart. Well, looking back, it was probably pretty dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but <laughs> yeah, it turned out to be pretty smart. You, you hit us with um, some of your experience as, uh, as manager of that, that ink lab, but, but I remember in my notes, uh, there's a little uh, bullet here I put fired at 30 years old. I think we might have skipped over uh, how you wound up to, to form your own business. I'm curious as, uh, as what the highlights are behind that. So we were doing all sorts of plastic uh, printing operations. We were certainly the first company in, in uh, Europe to manufacture credit cards. And um, a job went wrong, and I was the production manager, and uh, goodbye, Johnny. I found myself jobless. The gentleman I referred to that we would, would wax over um, yeah, the future of the world, and et cetera, et cetera, uh, and was the supplier and a very good friend, and he just left the company. He was a shareholder, but he'd left, and he had all the necessary equipment, money, monetarily-wise. <laughs> that helps. The, the two of us um, started up the company. There was a third member, and the three of us went our, our own way and started with a, his £100,000, which back then was a lot of money. It certainly wouldn't put that down. It was like 77, 78. We, within five years, we were five million. That's great. Take, take me back to the day you got fired and realized you had to go home to Sandra. Oh, boy. And say, uh, sorry, hon, um, I'm out of work. Well, remember, we didn't have, yeah, we didn't have cell phones or anything like that. And I, so when I'd, you eventually got home, right, you told me. Right. Well, here's, here's the thing. I had a company car, right? So I drive into work and uh, I get called into the boardroom. And there sitting in the boardroom is uh, one of the directors from the McCorkadale Group, which is, uh, was the big group that was, this company was part of. And my immediate managing director and and a lawyer. Oh, yeah, you of know course. You're in <laughs> <laughs> I figured Not there might well. might be problem <laughs> problems ahead, and I was asked to clear my desk. Oh. He, I would be escorted home in my car because they were immediately taking the car away. I I was driven home in my car. <laughs> Talk about a little bit your your mindset at that moment. Like, was it oh, what was me? How am I gonna no, explain this or was mind. it like what am i gonna what am i gonna do what am i gonna do now like where where did your mind immediately go my immediate mindset was i'm going to talk to roop 
uh, Rupert Cawthorn, who was the other guy, the other guy, see what ideas we could come up with. That's pretty good. Yeah. So within moments, you had already thought about starting oh, yeah. your own company. Yeah. It just was, what else are you going to do? Yeah. I'm, I always I think of myself as unemployable just because I, I don't participate in any politics within companies. I, I, I just don't and will never do that. In the end, it becomes, hey, you've got to do it yourself. Well, there's some factual evidence behind your ability to withstand uh, someone telling you what you should be doing uh, by, by staying out all night at 14. So I think that that formative, I guess, historical point uh, speaks to your personality because now here's a second event where you've just been handed your walking papers and and you're immediately thinking about okay well what am I going to do next it's not this um this moment of self-pity or or this moment where it's someone else's problem and you're the victim it's it's simply okay what's next and, yeah. and that's I think that you know you talk about your self-drive you, you talk about your um your ability to kind of look down the road there's also this ability to just um, hit adversity and go right through it. There, there is no, there is no hesitation. You mentioned within a number, a couple of years, you you, you took a hundred thousand pounds and turned it into five million, and that was just based. Was it a? And obviously, that's not just. No, me. no. Uh, what's the name of the company? It was uh, Color Dry. Color Dry. And, and Dave Nixon. Dave Nixon uh, was the office planning business manager. Side of things. Rupert Cawthorn was the owner. I had a small piece. And what made the success come so easily for you guys in that short period of time? We innovated. We did things that nobody else had done. We were the first company in Europe that I'm aware of that put infrared dryers on litho machines. What was your work ethic like at the time? Had you had your children at the, at the time? Uh, yeah, unfortunately yeah. For, for them. Yeah, and, and explain was, during those years when you you didn't have a job and you started your own business and in those four or five years to grow that substantially what it took it took a lot of hard work but and a lot of hours i used to, i was doing 45 50,000 miles a year in england which is pretty small place sure. to be able to drive that amount of miles it's uh, you got to be out every day almost uh, and you got to be doing things that are very different we think we help change that industry, litho industry, in that when I did come to the United States, which was shortly thereafter in 82, we were amongst the first to ever put dryers again on litho machines. There was a company called Herbert that was doing the same thing, but with medium wave infrared, we were using shortwave, which proved to be the right, right route. So, so you kind of hopped over the pond and there's, some, there's a, a little bit of a storyline there. You want to well, 1980, I come to a show called Print 80, which at the time was the biggest show in the world. I was over here, over here with my age, our agent for the company, and um, it was love at first sight. Just being in the U.S. Being in the U.S., being in Chicago, and uh, seeing the honesty, not depicted on TV. When you saw the TV shows, the American TV shows, you, you thought of this Wild West um, type atmosphere, and I saw none of that. I didn't see the class system, um, you know, coming from the background that I come from. I would never, ever to this day would be accepted in some of those circles. So you get on the ground and you just see opportunity. Oh, I, I came here and I'm seeing 
there's no knowledge relative to drying. It is just nothing. And, and people don't get it. I go back to, to England, sell United States to my family, and then go and meet with the partners and tell them we're headed to US. How did that go over with Sandra and the family? Was it an well, easy they, sell or was it the hardest oh, sell? No, it, it wasn't that hard a sell. <laughs> um, in fact, uh, Nathan to this day says, I thought we were going to see palm trees and, and cowboys and Indians. <laughs> <laughs> He was seven years old. (laughs) It's kind of mind mind bending when when you look at as Joe alluded to. You've had great growth at Color Dry. Uh, You go over to just tour a show with with your U.S. agent for Color Dry, and the next thing you know, you're coming back and packing your family and and leaving. You you have a bit of a. I mean, you you kind of alluded to it earlier that just a self drive to be successful. You you never seem to doubt. There's there's very little self doubt. In, in, That's in, true, in, yeah. in your, your, I guess, maybe even your vernacular or your outlook. How do you, you, you think that's something you work at? You, you think it's uh, no, just innate? I think it's innate. I, I don't think you can teach someone that. I, I, it's just innate. It's a hunger. Yeah. It's a hunger for success. How do you, um, there, there's obviously been successful uh, entrepreneurs uh, started their own business that, that, that may or may not. Um, always have that much um, of that self-confidence and, and, and never lack of self-doubt, but they succeed as well. Is there maybe just a nugget you could give? I mean, is it, is it simply work ethic? Is it, is it simply no quit? I mean, is there, there are things that you, when you look back that, that you could say, you know, as, as, a, as a businessman um, striving to be successful, if you could focus on something like this once a day or once a week, it just helps you get through some of those moments. I don't know how to define it. I don't. Um, it, it's just something that... It's in your DNA. Yeah, it's in the DNA. It's like breathing for you. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you come to the States. How, how long after you got here did the opportunity continue with the current company that you were with? Uh, three months. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you land, you get your family here, and three months later, it hits the fan. I approached them. It may have been a little longer than that, but not much longer. We're importing the equipment from Color Dry. We're importing equipment from a company in Sweden called IVT. Between us, we determine that these guys, they're not living up to a single promise that, they, that they'd made to me. We said, why not between us we form our own company? But we'll offer that I will run the company but they, and they, they'll be partners. And we put that to them and it went over like a lead zeppelin. So you weren't, <laughs> you weren't walking away from them. You, you gave them a shot. But, oh, yeah, we but, did. But that's interesting. But this is you and your, your agent, your U.S. agent that you met. After three, four months, you're just, you're just going to start your own business. Yeah. You know, it's kind of this theme here. You, you got... <laughs> He got kicked out of the house. He got <laughs> driven home from a job he got fired from, and, and now he's basically just started over again. He's reinvented The confidence, himself. you know, yeah. and, the, and the cojones it takes to just That's true. step out of your comfort zone. You've been in the country for three months. You probably don't even... Actually, there was a, a song that was being, uh, was very popular at the time, and it was, It's No Fun Being an Illegal Alien. <laughs> And you may remember it was Phil Collins that sang that. And we used to walk around the house singing that because for a good month to six weeks, I was illegal. <laughs> we 
we go, we go to the immigration office in uh, Hartford. Who's there? But the company I just walked away from, mm. and they just reported me for. Wow. Yeah, and so for for about four four to six weeks, I was illegal. Pan- was there ever panic at that moment? I honestly You've got young kids at the I, time. I I, I I I think maybe I'm dumber than I look. Uh, you know, I. No, I never, I never had any self doubt. Most remarkable thing ever is that from uh, stripes. Uh, don't kid yourself. You're you're totally a slouch. <laughs> Maybe I'm dumber than I think. No, I think it's a. I think again, you you t- we we just kind of alluded to these moments of self doubt when when you had to kind of dig deep and and uh, what could what what advice could you give some and and it's to you it's like breathing. I, I mean, it's just it's just very interesting. You just kind of your approach is. Um, well, okay, it's just another day for me to go out and do what I need to get done. So yep. these things are, are non-events to you. Then to get to a point where JB starts in 1998. Well, no, it was, we were IVT Color Dry. Okay. I married the two company names to give us IVT Color Dry. And we, we were the people that gave um, litho machines coders on the end of their machines. <laughs> we um, we uh, had a, a company in, in uh, Canada that uh, had uh, invented a coding tower and that would go on litho machines, and I approached them to, I wanted them to make it for us, and they weren't interested, but they said, hey, you can take the patent and do what you want with it. So I did. We started putting coders on... Um, on litho machines, we did all all polygraph machines, which was the East German Planeta, which is now K- KMB, and is actually the repeater is the very machine that used to be sold as a Planeta. We were supplying all of their coders um, for a good three or four years. Unfortunately, they they had a managed leverage buyout, and they were sixty percent of our business. By 88, 87, 88. Right around the time the uh, world collapsed financially. Yep, and the financial collapse. And at the same time as that was going on, they fired all of the guys that had been involved with the leverage buyout and fired all of their suppliers. And so we were suddenly penniless almost. You know, we. Here we go again. Here we go again. <laughs> so. <laughs> Sold all, all the um, intellectual properties to a company in Dallas, went and worked as a consultant for them. Printing research. Printing research. Gave them the, all the technology. Into, and that's why they bought, the, bought us, of course. And you moved to, to Dallas? Or did moved you to Dallas. Us? And in fact, the other interesting part of that is Warren had just got, got married at that time. He was with us for about six months a year before we, we sold to, to get an all, all moved down to Dallas. Warren's your oldest. The oldest son, yeah. yeah. The president of uh, JB Machinery. And we'll get a little later, we'll talk about the current status of JB and, and get the right. names and duties of the other children. But um, it, it's pretty uh, shocking to me. Just one, one more event where the world collapses and 
and John Bird just says, okay, what, let's go. What, what are we doing Roll tomorrow? up the sleeves and get back to work. <laughs> Warren, when talking to him, he said that the move to Dallas was hard on him. That was probably the hardest oh, part of his Oh, for his him, group. yeah. Oh, he, he's just got married. Yeah. Um, he just, uh, bought, uh, he was renting, renting a house, you know. It, it, was, uh, it was a big, big move, yeah. big move. And we, we would not move down there. We told PRI, we're not coming down there unless he, he comes with us because yeah. he was employed by, by IVT Color Dry at the time. So now you're, um, you're consulting for them. Is yes. that correct? Yeah. And Warren works for them. Gotcha. Early consult. 90s, late, late 80s? Early 90s, 91-ish. 1991. I started off as a consultant and became an employee. And how long does this go this on? Relationship this relationship lasts for seven years. Long. Seven years. <laughs> Don't give me another, here we go again. We got to start yeah. over. Yeah, <laughs> we did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll speed through. So you're at Printing Research Consulting and, and seven years later, are you going to knock at the door or somebody uh, kick you I, out of your I, company 90, car? 1997, January January the second, I walk into my office and there's a, an envelope on my desk. Uh, John Bird, bonus, New Year's <laughs> bonus. Yeah, it must be something like that. And I open it up and uh, says you're no longer employed. Your, your severance will be six months salary or whatever commissions and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. This is what I find so intriguing. Is Joe, you know Joe opens up by Kind of, we give a little background about you, and we we talk about when we see you at these meetings and in your nice suits and and you know all these great things. And and I I think this really epitomizes you as an entrepreneur right here. Is is this is the fourth recreation in your career, <laughs> and you you remain unfazed. You uh, you have a very supportive spouse in Sandra that we know and, oh, and, and she's it's just an amazing she's an amazing person and it's an amazing representation of of who you as an individual uh, you are as a team uh, you and and, and Sandra and, and right. your children and th- you're just unfazed I mean the birth of JB machinery how old are you at the time 97 no I wasn't 97 I was much younger no. than that <laughs> Sorry, sorry for you listeners, 1997. um, Would it be 47? It's amazing. Wouldn't I? 47, 45. Unfazed. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, and- So uh, this notice is on your desk. So take us through this development. Now you say, now you go home again. So, well, meet with them. They tell me you've got six months to find something. Um, I go home and uh, here we go again, Sammy. (laughs) But they're going to pay me my commissions and my intellectual property royalties. I'm sure of that. I find, once again, that I'm unemployable. Who the hell is going to employ John Bird? I then talk around the industry, great mentors in people like John Harris at Ward at the time, Maya Ruchenberg from United, Tom Stiles from Menasha Corporation. These were all guys that I built strong relationships with as a supplier and I told them what had happened but I'm thinking I'm going to start my own company what do you think and every one of them said go for it that became the birth of um, JB machinery and I bought my machinery from 
PRI <laughs> initially. <laughs> Such a creative name, JB Machinery. Where did where did it come from? Where was the it took us ages to. <laughs> <laughs> it took us ages. It really was one of those things where you said, "Well, what are we going to call ourselves?" Yeah. <laughs> and JB Equipment didn't sound right, you know. So it's JB Machinery. So that's nineteen ninety eight. Ninety seven through ninety eight, I represent PRI. And who is? Uh... 9798, you represent Yeah, I'm PRI. JB Machinery, but not incorporate. Did they turn around and sue you at some point? They did. <laughs> 97, when they fired me, of course, I went back to them after about three months and said, I'm unemployable. What about if I represent you and be your agent? All I want is I want the Flexo market. I'll outsell all of your sales guys. <laughs> And you know it. No confidence. He wonders there, right? why he's unemployable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it. And you give me a stipend, and uh, I'll I'll grow that out, no problem. Uh, and you already owe me on my intellectual properties anyway. And so they went along with that. I get invited back in in '98, March of '98, where they offer me a job again. They, they so wonder. you're so you're successful in that time horizon, and now they want you to come back in again. Yes, because you beat all their sales guys. And yeah, you're growing. Yeah, they you actually, tell them to go pound sand in '98 when they call you back in. That's great. Basically, I yeah. mean, they they said I asked them why they. I mean, the first time they fired me, they they did admit that it was largely due to the fact that I they were paying me too much mm. in '98 when I was invited back in. It was because they wanted to re-employ me because I was making too much money. <laughs> so Perfect. It, it's a, hey, you know, this is this is just going to go on forever. Let's let's cut cut to it now. And that's when I approached the Meyer Ruthenbergs of the world, etc. Okay. What do I do, guys? I mean, what, what is it? I could start my own. And Tom Stiles introduced me to a company called Zurich Web Drying Systems, which today is XDS, our manufacturing arm. I went and, uh, went and interviewed with them, and I wanted to do the same deal I had with PRI, which was, hey, I'll sell, sell, sell your equipment. You'll make what I want. Uh, I don't want you what you make. You're going to make what I want. They agreed. I, I gave them a global exclusivity as long as they gave me global exclusivity. So that's that innovation again that, that you've always... And we shook hands again, on it. And yeah. it, 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 to this day, I know we, we bought the company yes. in the end, but you know, it was one of those beautiful deals. This is what the draw is to a country like US, that you could do a deal like that, shake hands on it, and never, ever look back. So, so in, in 98, this is all happening. Yeah. Oh, and that's when they come and sue me now. Well, uh, before then, is there ever a moment where you said, I, I made it, or this was, this is no. it? <laughs> no, how can you, you know? I think if you do He's that, four years away from getting fired by someone again. Yeah, you can't, <laughs> he's starting he can't over settle down yet. <laughs> I, it's, uh, no, because... Uh, You're happy, just not satisfied yet. It, it's not a question of satisfaction. It, the satisfaction is in the creating, is to making things happen. I, the satisfaction comes from being innovative. Yeah. I mean, we've introduced In Command, which is the only product of its type in the world. Yeah, people make uh, ink management systems, 
but it's the precision control that we've got with that system that makes it special. We've introduced auto wash. You know, it, it, it's those are things that, they get me excited as hell. Who who was your who was your for, first order from? Once you first order ever was uh, from Weyerhaeuser in um, Meriden, Connecticut. A UV system that went on the end of a ward. It was um, very interesting only because David, I can't remember his last name, but we, we actually showed him a piece of PRI equipment uh, that Tom Stiles allowed us to show him uh, that was Menasha plant in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We showed him the system working and he committed to us almost immediately saying, we'd like to buy this from you. I immediately turned to Roger Whipple, the owner of XDS, Zerk Web Drying Systems, it was um, one of those moments where, uh, Roger, I'm not incorporated. And you've never made a UV system ever before. <laughs> Isn't this we, great? <laughs> we, need, we need to talk to David about this. And uh, so we're walking up the stairs in Olive Branch, I'll never forget it. Uh, David, David, we need, to, we need to have a few moments. And I explained to him, and he said, why are you thinking of going somewhere? Mm-mm. It was it was ridiculous. I mean, you know, again, it's it's that only could happen in the United States. Yeah, chance favors the prepared, in my perspective. You know, without without skipping ahead, I, I'm just I'm I want to put some context to it. You know, 24 years getting ready. You know, you're heading into your 24th year, right? 25th year, 25th year in reality, but yeah, it's 24 years in March of JB Machinery Incorporated. You, you know, and, and to Joe's point again, I mean, you, you've, you've had some tremendous success, tremendous amount of innovation. You're just, uh, you know, it's great to hear these stories because you're a very humble person. I mean, I, it's funny, it's so out of context for me to hear you tell the story where you looked at PRI and said, I'm going to outsell your salespeople and I'm going to be bigger than I was when I was here because that's not, you know, that's not how, how I know you. And it's just, it's just a credit to, um, to a lot of struggle, to some heartache and uh, some challenges, but just the way you carry yourself and your work ethic and your humility is uh, really, it's, it's representative of who you are and who the company is and, and you all you all behave that way, and it's just a, it's a core value. Oh, that, that hard thank work you. married with humility is is a great thing to see. Warren, when talking to him, um, mentioned to me that it was a pivotal point for him in, in realizing that you know, as a family, you guys were starting to grow and starting to get business and starting to make JB Machinery happen. And in the excitement at that time, he he points back to. A time in his career where he, he was like, okay, I think this is going to work. In fact, he got offered my job at PRI. He and I spoke about it. We said, uh, probably not a good, good idea uh, because you know where I ended up. He applied to Baldwin, Baldwin Technologies, and he got job selling. He was with them uh, several years and in Chicago. He got promotion and transferred to Baldwin in Connecticut. The pivotal point of all of that was that I wanted to move JB Machinery, Inc. to Connecticut because coming out of Dallas was a challenge. Everywhere you went, you had to fly. There was nothing, you can't drive anywhere. And then when he moved to uh, Connecticut, it was 
perfect because now I moved JB Machinery Inc. to Connecticut. We were neighbors. 2002, we built up enough of a company to be able to say, hey, we're going places. This is going to happen, really going to happen. Warren, come and join me. Again. <laughs> <laughs> the, the business has begun. You're, you're a, a business of one, and now you begin to grow and expand, and you, you begin to take on employees. Who's your, who's your first hire? And, and maybe fast forward and, and talk about the family dynamic. If you could kind of run through what roles everyone serves in the business. First employee was, was Warren, the oldest. He has become the president of the company, and he runs basically JB Machinery, sales marketing. We worked together for a number of years. That uh, was followed by Tanya Rubin, who's the middle child. We needed someone to handle the finance and human resources, although there was only, only the two of us at the time. And knowing that Tanya's mathematics skills, financial skills, were as high as they were. She'd worked for American Express mm. for a number of years and then went on to join Prada. So knowing how she was able to forecast sales and, and purchasing, we thought, wow. That's great. What, what a great background. And she, she wanted to move back to Connecticut with her husband. We said, hey, how'd you like to join JB Machinery? And uh, so she joined and runs all the finances, HR, all the really tough stuff. <laughs> that fun stuff. None of, us yeah, want, fun stuff. <laughs> none of us want anything to do with she has all those heartaches and tries to keep us all in order. Does a good job of that. And then there's Nathan, and he's the youngest, who orchestrates all the quoting and, and specs, etc. He was a uh, surfer king mm -hmm. in California. He um, was looking for something more. And by the way, Sandra Bird, who we call the general manager, <laughs> the organization the is, is the is the mortar that keeps the bricks in place and i said bricks with a b in place <laughs> uh, well she's certainly a, an impressive human being herself oh, and, and i have she's awesome. i have no uh, issue whatsoever uh, when when i run into her to um give her negative feedback on you so she could put you back in line. So I take full advantage of that. And you should. Excellent. You guys somewhat recently got into the manufacturing side of things. What drove that? And can you explain a little bit about that side of your business? We were forced into buying Zerik Web Drying Systems, the company we had our original deal with, because the owner, Roger Whipple, wanted to retire. Mm. And you had a two-way exclusive, so you, you needed to hold on to that manufacturing arm. Right. The key employee that we got ourselves within the first six months of, of ownership was Jeff DeVries. He is the innovator extraordinaire in terms of the actual putting it into practice. John Bird can come up with an idea. Warren Bird can come up with an idea, but we have no idea how to make it and do it. What year was that when you bought XDS? We bought XDS, I want to say 
2014, something like that. Manufacturing, uh, owning a business in that space, obviously much different than just oh. having them as a partner. What, what was that curve like? Obviously, you, you hired Jeff within six months, um, I, I would assume for a good reason. Yeah. I mean, we, we have no manufacturing experience. It's not something I ever wanted to be involved in. Never, it was never in my DNA to be a manufacturer. It's all it's Stephen Jobs type. You know, it's ideas. It's how you do it is not, not what I'm good at. Mm. We're not good at. We knew Jeff through uh, him, his time at McKinley. Knew he was out of work because of uh, McKinley going going bankrupt. We'd known him over the years and uh, had great respect for him. And I used the Stephen Jobs line when I employed him. We employed him. Do you want to make sugar water for the rest of your life, or do you want to make a difference? That's great. He. Jump chip, and uh, here we are. The other critical force is uh, Dave Burgess. You hired him just more because of his English accent than his capabilities. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, not so much because it's a northern accent. Uh, and, you know, uh, they, they get, they're just not the same as us boys down south. So he's been incredible to your team. He has. He has been a major difference. He's actually a big factor in my retirement in that um, Dave is, is sales director. There's no global or anything like that. He is the sales director. So he is the man. And what year did he come up on? Uh, he's in his 10th year. He's in his 10th year. How does, uh, what's the interaction like between um, having, having now two very influential non-family members involved in strategy, direction, discussion, execution. How does that operate with you? I think it's an incredible addition. They're two extremely intelligent guys, extremely creative in their own ways. I I just don't know how we would ever replace either one of them. We regard them as family and call them family. They're just very special people. And maybe fast forward and talk about how you orchestrate strategy, direction, innovation as a family. Does this pour its way over into a Thanksgiving dinner or are there clear lines? And do you, as the, as the founder of the business, have final say? Is it a democracy? Can you just shed some light on strategically how you come together to set course and roles and responsibilities? It's evolved. There's, there's not a blueprint. There, it's equal voting. All, all policy decisions are equal votes. I'm a part of a family business as well, John, and I know oftentimes shop talk spills out of the office and into the family room or Thanksgiving yeah. dinner, as Gene mentioned. Did you guys have rules or did you establish a parameter to not let that be an encompassing thing to your family life? Or was it just over time it developed into something that just worked? I think it just evolved. Once we, we had become established, then this was maybe three or four years ago, we determined that, hey, we're, we're going to have equal voting. Um, there's not going to be just one figurehead that dictates. Um, we will make all decisions jointly. Majority will always, will always rule. 
how do you find um, maybe a scenario or two, and we, we don't need the details behind them, just the outcome where let's say um, let's say three vote yes and one votes no, and now and now how has responsiveness been with a family member who may be a dissenting vote? Do they do they get in line and get on board? Is oh, it, yeah. is We've it never decided had, and done? We've never had a, an issue with that. What do you what do you attribute to that? Just just open communication? I think so. Yeah. I think it's purely that. Yeah. I don't I don't think there's any you know, it's not political in any way. It's it's just so interesting to me that each family business has a separate dynamic and as you've talked about, and it seems as if it's working for you, and you, you know, yeah. But it, it, there's, there are those moments. Oh, oh and that's course. what I was getting to. I mean, I think AICC put on a show, uh, a speaker one year that discussed his family business crumbling. The empire totally crumbled. Yeah, and everybody's got their difficulties to deal with family businesses, yeah. and I'm sure you guys do as well. But just to hear the way you just described it, and the equal voting, and everybody's the dissenting vote still understands and yeah. uh, it's important, I think, for your success that uh, it looks that way. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think it's that I've always been flexible in that regard, uh, you know, yes. Which is impressive for somebody that runs, oh. you know, is the owner and founder. I think it's smart, but, you know. Not just, everybody thinks that way. No, I know, but uh, I, I think it's... I think it's dumb not to think that way, you know, because you don't always know the right answer. Yeah, there's got to be some dynamic too, though, because as you said before, one of the things you lean into that you get great satisfaction from is this innovation and, and looking down the road. Right. And not everyone has that makeup. And I have to believe that it is a fine line, you know, flexible to a degree. But at, at the end of the day, I think that there are probably scenarios or situations where you're you're pretty damn committed to something. and and there's going to be a vote, but but you need people to understand that these are just things that you bring to the party. I mean, has that ever occurred where there may be a little bit of a of a fist pound where you say, "Hey, look, I feel really uh, passionate about this this next move, and, and I know you can't see it as well as I can, but I, but I need you to get on board." Has that ever occurred in the in the no, twenty five years? No, because I, I think because we've there's always been good forethought. Going into this will work because, okay, um, and this is why we should do it. There's always been the objective and the the explanation as to why it's a benefit. You're only going to do it. We would only do it if we could see that there was a major benefit to our customers. Otherwise, don't do it. We'd be missing the fact that the third generation of the Bird family is is now involved. Absolutely, Spencer Bird joined us what two years ago now. He's very outward going, etc. And actually, something that that was said this week, it was I think by you, Gene, that really hit a hit a note for me, uh, which was that we get scared of the the new blood coming in. That's exactly right. You say, you know, stop being concerned about it. Of all the folks that I know in this, in this association, in this industry, how uh, they came in, they tell great stories. Well, I, 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 my parents brought me here when I was 22, and I took a full-time job at 24. And all of their connections and close friends and networks are all roughly the same age. They're, they're all compatriots coming into this. 
by not having the next generation of talent come in today, we are prohibiting those connections yes. that take place organically. So 20 years down the road, a third generation bird is meeting with a third generation box maker or a fifth generation box maker of all like-minded, equal time frame compatriots that now have created a bond and a trust just yep. like yeah. a generation ago. And so yeah. that needs to happen organically and it can only happen with with full participation. Yeah. So it's great that you recognize that. Yeah. Hey, it's, uh, it's not easy <laughs> to, to, to pick it up, but you can and do. What sort of advice could you give an entrepreneur? It, it, it's not a startup. It's not a, a, a reinvention. It's, it's not a, it, it could be third generation who's taking over. It, it could be second generation, you know, new to the role you know, setting the course for the business, uh, it, with all of the experiences that you've had, what, what are some of the lessons and how would you convey that to, to someone? With great difficulty. <laughs> so let me rephrase the question then. Spencer looks at you and says, hey, I'm going to go off in this direction and I'm going to go start a, a fabric printing company and can you give me some advice? What, what would you tell your grandson? I mean, what Tell him he was a fool <laughs> <laughs> to leave to leave JP machinery. That's what fair. You, you... Let's let's just make a presumption that uh, that this is an opportunity. I guess I'm looking for. Well, if that's what he wanted to do, honestly, I'd say go ahead. And what and what advice do you give him? Why why can he be successful as you've been? What what can you sh what lessons can you share? I don't know how to put that into words. I don't uh, because I think that. You better believe in, you better know what you're doing is going to work. There's no point in getting into anything unless you are convinced and you know that you're right. John, we're out here at the AICC board meeting in Arizona, and just curious to get your thoughts on what AICC has meant to you and JB Machinery over the years. I don't believe that JB Machinery would be here today if it wasn't for AICC and their support. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on why, that, why that's so important? Because of the networking capabilities, possibilities, and because you're able to create friendships um, and alliances with people um, that otherwise wouldn't be available to you. And of course, assuming you've got a good product, because uh, without a good product, you're, you're not going to to go anywhere, but that's made that all that possible that the members can talk to each other and, and are able to ver verify with the other members before making their decisions. Sure. And, and I think AICC is equally as grateful. Uh, you've been very committed as, as an associate member. Uh, you give back uh, not only of your time, but also uh, of, of the company's talents and expertise. Uh, to help make us better as an organization and individual entrepreneurs. So I, I believe while you are grateful uh, for what AICC has been able to provide with respect to a platform, uh, the, the association and its members are just as grateful for how you've helped us improve our efficiencies, our productivity, our, our end product to satisfy uh, demanding and, and ever constant changing customer needs. And we thank you for, for that and, and making it possible.
as we wrap this up, kicked out of the house, put in front of a magistrate, starting a company, getting fired from a company, starting a company, getting fired from a company, getting sued, <laughs> and never did your mind change. You believed from day one in each one of those instances, this was what I'm going to do next is going to work. I think it's a marriage of, you know, I've, I've always admired entrepreneurs who, who, you know, I guess coining a, a phrase of my own is, they're opportunistic in a very tight lane of traffic. So some call it innovation, but, but innovation could be anything and it could, it could span a wide range, but it's that ability to be innovative and strategic within what you do very well. And what I would describe, what, we, what kind of repeats itself is a singular focus. You get this uh, really kind of fallen in love with, and maybe by necessity because you needed to be employed, but you, you oh, wound, yeah, hey. wound up in the ink space and you started to craft this mindset of innovation, but you've, you've succeeded with a singular focus and a singular drive. So I think from my perspective, not, not here to put words in your mouth, but, but the experience that repeats is your ability to be very focused and driven and, re and rely on your own capabilities. I think you, you said a word there that I think is very important. Necessity is the mother of invention. Amen. And, and I strongly believe that. Strongly. Hey, all, some of the greatest creations have come through necessity. 3M. Totally out of necessity. I said it at the beginning when we introduced you, but you know, the, what you've built is incredible. And we mean that from, you know, the bottom of our heart and just seeing and hearing the story. And, well, thank you. Uh, I think it's meaningful to a lot of people in this industry and, and it needs to be shared. And, and as I said uh, to Gene earlier, we're fortunate enough to know you and your story. And so many people within our industry don't. And it's an important one to share. I just hope I don't get arrested as I leave. <laughs> you never know. And, and we certainly, you know, we have a limited uh, time frame. We, uh, we really didn't dig into what you, you, you alluded to uh, with, with the team you have, uh, family members and non-family members. A lot goes into oh, what boy, yeah. JB Machinery is today. We certainly aren't, aren't uh, discounting any of the efforts of the people that support Oh, you and your business every day. They're, they're massive. They're Those massively are, important. It, yeah, we're, we're just uh, taking one, one perspective. And if you want to learn more, you can go to www.jbmachinery.com. And uh, you could always come to an AICC event and, and meet JB personally. We'd be happy to, to introduce him. John, thank you so much. Thank you. We thank appreciate you. Thanks for sharing thank your you. story. Breaking down boxes. New shows will drop the first Monday of every month. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.